I'm Nicole Matthews, corporate America dropout turned entrepreneur and owner of The Henley Company, an event travel and lifestyle management firm. It wasn't that long ago that I was dreading my drive to my fancy corporate job each day or felt disenfranchised with the work I was doing. In 2007, I jumped off the corporate escalator and directly into the elevator of opportunity. Today, I'm an author, speaker, educator, and serial asker. I wholeheartedly believe that your life changes when you start creating your own opportunities and making big asks. Hands down, the business and life I have today is 100% the product of giving myself permission to design the life I want to live. It was always my dream to work at the Olympics, and by making a big ask, that dream became a reality. I now have multiple Olympic projects to add to my life resume. I created the Big Ass Podcast to share these best practices with you. Whether you're an entrepreneur hungry for revenue generating tips or an individual restless to make a significant change, the life you want to live could be just one big ask away. Get ready to be entertained by real life stories, no filter conversations, and inspired by the daily hustle. So let's get started. This is the Big Ass Podcast. everybody and welcome back to the Big Ass Podcast. I'm Nicole Matthews and I'm delighted you're joining me today. I look forward to a great conversation um, with my friend Katie Temple of Katie Temple Media Coaching. Um, we are two um, entrepreneurial girls who are going to spend some, some time here talking with each other and getting to know each other even better. So um, thanks Katie for saying welcome or th- saying thank you. <laughs> Let's start again. Thank you for saying yes to my um, ask for the podcast. We'll edit that part out. So pleasure. I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, great. Thanks so much. So um, you and I have gotten to know each other in the last couple of years through our involvement with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, we both um, proudly hold the title of Woman of the Year, myself for 2017 and you um, for 2019. And so I want to definitely spend some time talking about that as we move through the conversation. But um, for those who don't know your background, let's just start there. Give us a little bit of the, the, uh, the, the quick and dirty on, on Katie Temple. Okay, quick and dirty, I'll talk since, since we're entrepreneurs, I'll kind of stay in that realm. But I've had my own business, uh, Katie Temple Media Coaching, Think Temple for about three and a half years. And I work with executives who want to be great on camera. And the reason that I do that is because for 20 plus years, I was a sportscaster uh, locally, nationally, regionally, and internationally. Uh, and we, you and I talked about how we both worked at Olympics. And mm-hmm. I had an, a, a lovely career. I loved every minute of it, made a ton of sacrifices, had a ton of fun, worked really hard. But I, there was a lot of pain. There's a lot of challenges. And I always wanted, when I got out, I thought I want to help people just fast track them through that pain. And so that's what I'm doing. Exactly. I'm working with anybody, wherever there's a camera around, whether it's talking to the media or uh, creating videos or speaking on Zoom or (laughs) for a job or presenting, I'm fast tracking them to be the best version of themselves. So that's what I've been that's what I've been up to uh, lately yeah. in the last three and a half years. Good. That's great. I, it's, such, it's so important, you know, the first time you, anybody ever goes on camera, you know, it can be a little daunting. And then, especially if they're doing something live when they can't, you know, hit, you know, cut, edit, all those things. And so I remember the very first time I've ever had to do live television. And it is a, it is a little bit daunting to say the least. So having somebody like you who coaches people into putting their best foot forward is incredibly valuable. Um, but you started as a, 
sportscaster. So how, um, how first did you get into that industry? And secondly, uh, a woman being a sportscaster is a little bit of a unicorn. Um, it, at least it has been, it is a little more prevalent now. So what, what was that journey like as kind of a, one of the first to be um, doing sports as a woman? Well, I was always a sport. I was always a, a tomboy and I always played sports. My mom jokes that she tried to give me a doll when I was a little girl and I threw it over the fence. So <laughs> that was that. I mean, I was just a tomboy. I grew up in a big Irish Catholic family with brothers and a bunch of cousins and in a cul-de-sac in Merced, California. And I loved every minute of it. So we were out playing all the time and big football games, basketball, whatever it was, I just wanted to to play sports and then I played them competitively as well. So that was a passion from the minute from go, to be honest. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, you know, you and I had talked about how we both had passions for being around the Olympics. And when I was a little girl, I wanted to be an Olympic athlete. But when I was younger, we didn't have, that was really all I could see that a woman could become sports wise. And so then I thought, well, maybe I'll just talk about them for a living. And it, I kind of fumbled through it. In other words, I didn't have any strict guidance or thoughts about it. I got lucky in high school where they did a local TV program and I got to cover sports. And that was that. I thought, well, this is it. Mm -hmm. if I, I'm going to do this. And so I kind of just found my way that way. I didn't know how to do it. They tell you to go to a small market, make your mistakes and kind of bit by bit. But I got you know, I got denied by a lot of small markets. Mm -hmm. And so I did some behind the scenes work in Atlanta and got a reel together, a resume reel. And the first place that said, yes, I moved out to Fresno, California and got my career going. So it took me a while. My first on-air job was when I was 26 years old, but great experience because it was Fresno State Sports. And mm -hmm. Jerry Tarkanian was a basketball coach and Jim Sweeney and Pat Hill were the were the football coaches and the women's sports were at a very high level. And so it was a great, great place to start. Yeah, that is. And I, I, you know, sports, I think, is an interesting thing. It's sort of like um, like weather, where you really do need to know what you're talking about. It's not just about reading, you know, the teleprompter as it's coming in front of you, my assumption would be, right? And so, so how, you know, at being a sports reporter, uh, just the research you have to do all the time as well, right? Really keeping current on, on what's happening in the sports world. Right. And that's true. I mean, a lot of people kind of thought that I had this glamorous life where people did my makeup all the time and everyone wrote my stuff and neither was true. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wrote everything, especially as I got through, as I got older. Uh, but it's a passion, so it's not work, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And I know you know that as an entrepreneur and what you do. So there's not... Right the struggle is real because it's a lot of hours and it's hyper, hyper competitive. Uh, but it's a passion. And when I, and when you're focused and passionate, it's just, okay, what do I have to do? How do I get better? How do I get better? How do I get better? And it's not right. a lot of work, but what you do find, and I don't know that this is a female thing as, as much as it is a human thing is that there are certain sports or certain things about sports that you don't know as well as others, for example. Mm -hmm. I never played in the NFL. The only football knowledge I had was being a Raiders fan as a kid and playing in the street, right? But I played softball in college. I played basketball. I played soccer. I never played hockey. So there's right. different kind of things where you know a little more internally and intimately than others. And you just accelerate your, to your point, your research and your homework to the point right. where you get to that level. 
Right. And then how about working in a town like San Diego where our sports, professional sports market is, is sort of dwindling. So what is it like to work, you know, when you lose your NFL franchise here in San Diego, um, you know, the Padres aren't necessarily our, our most winning team. So, you know, how do you, where are you finding stories all the time to talk about in a, in a city like San Diego? Yeah, I don't have to do that as much right now, which is nice in that I fill in at Channel 8. Uh, I'm, uh, they, I pinch hit when they need me. When I was on the air full time here, though, we did have the Chargers 99 to 05. I was on the air at Fox 6. And so okay. I'm good and lucky because it was a good timing. That's when you were diving into the Chargers and then you dive into the Padres and then San Diego State and USD and Point Loma mm-hmm. and all the high school stuff in between. Um, yeah. But now I'm, I, I don't envy the the sports reporters, really. I mean, especially yeah. now. Now they're really struggling to find. <laughs> yeah. um, but when I'm going and filling at CBS, it's not. It's a lot of golf, right? And it's a lot of other maybe local angles that we didn't do before because a lot of uh, Chargers. Yeah, definitely. It has been really interesting to watch the media adapt to COVID and seeing reporters now reporting from home and that sort of thing. And and it sort of speaks to, is that the direction that the media is headed where these big broadcast studios might not necessarily be as necessary? I don't know, layperson asking that question, um, when you can be easily, you know, you just sitting on your couch now could be giving the sports report. So, um, so where do you see sort of the media headed and broadcasting headed given COVID? Well, I think it's a mixed bag because it's a preference, right? What a lot of people don't know is when they're watching the local news and some people are at home and some people are in the studio, that's a choice that the anchors and the reporters made. And they have that right because when the pandemic hit, nobody knew Mm -hmm. what was going on. And so the the choice is, are you going to go home or stay in the studio? But we need to find that balance. Yeah. So I, it'll be interesting to see. I know some people prefer working at home and some people are chomping at the bit to get back in the studio. It kind of depends yeah. on safety first. And so mm-hmm. once once the vaccine comes, fingers crossed. Yes. Then right. But I think the bigger challenge is there's definitely challenges for working from home, but especially for sports right now is the content. Yeah. We're making some headway now, but it's the content that was kind of tough. Right. I mean, you even just read the, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I try to read the newspaper every day and uh, just even the sports section of the newspaper. I don't normally read the newspaper, the sports, but now it's just one page on the back of the local section instead of its own entire section. So, yeah, I definitely it's kind of like, what are we, you know, what stories are out there to talk about? Right. And a lot of it out of the gate was today in history, for example. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, and, and and it also presented an opportunity, I think, for athletes who understood the media or perhaps understood their own brand to put stories forward because reporters were so hungry for stories at a time that you almost you'd almost want to encourage athletes or, or teams to come up with their own stories to then pitch to um, to the reporters. It probably would be a really good time to to find your way into a story or or on the news because they are so hungry for content right now. Absolutely. And when I was doing sports full time, as an aside, I didn't, we didn't have a really a big social media presence. At just mm-hmm. So athletes weren't creating content and mm-hmm. it really it's at your fingertips right now. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give a, an athlete or a team perhaps that is looking to um, find its way and tell their story? Is there any advice you can give kind of in its, in the current environment? I think, Oh, it's such a good question because there's so much noise, but you really want to appeal to your specific audience. So the, the, the idea is, all right, who's, 
who's my audience and what do they care about and why and what kind of connection do I want to make them and mm-hmm. with them and just to remind it this isn't just for athletes but it's for anybody that we really the brain remembers information 30, 40% more when it's told through story. And so everybody's going to be touched by a story. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe the advice would be organizing it. Uh, maybe people are nervous. They don't, they don't, a lot of people don't think they have a story when yeah. everyone has a story. So maybe the advice is kind of brainstorming with somebody or a professional about, okay, what really matters here and what's just is kind of a nice to have because sometimes people don't see themselves like we see them, right? Yeah. So that right. that's probably a really good place. To see. Yeah, that's all great. What has uh, being in front of the camera for so long taught you about business? Good question. Confidence, presence, eye contact, and present. So mm-hmm. more presence and be present. And uh, I think that especially so when you're on in tv and on camera and i know a lot of people understand this but there's a lot of humility that you need i mean you you take a beating a lot of the time <laughs> and especially at the beginning of your career just like everybody else i think mm-hmm. the difference is is that you're taking a beating and making mistakes where other people can see you versus mm-hmm. making a mistake doing something else where you're the only one that knows right and i think that that's what it teaches me about business is that um the skills that people learn from tv confidence writing presence communication skills asking mm-hmm. a lot of questions listening it's, it helps in business. People want yeah. you to be present. They want to be heard. They want to know that you know what you're talking about and they want to talk about themselves, which is why asking questions is so valuable. And listening, again, our most important communication skills. So I would say that it's funny because I worked in technology as an account manager, project manager after TV and, and Qualcomm was my customer. So it was like night and day but those skills were all transferable, especially when I didn't really know what I was doing as much as I did in TV. But if you ask a lot of questions and you work hard, you'll get there. Yeah, no, I think that's so true. The asking of questions, um, so often people are hesitant. They think it's a sign of weakness. If I'm asking clarifying questions or I'm asking, you know, directional questions and and in reality, you know, it's it's a weakness not to be asking the questions. Right, it's a weakness asking the questions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, It's funny that you say that you, you know, you take a beating in in TV. I I just actually today on Twitter saw um, somebody was tweeting to Savannah Guthrie that, um, that her hair was out of place or they were disappointed in how she looked the other day. And, you know, she's been reporting from home for for, you know, weeks now. And I think her response was great. She's like, you know, we're all having to do our own hair and makeup and we're just doing the best we can. And kind of my job is to report the news. And, and I just thought, my goodness, I mean, here's a woman who's so wildly talented and is such an important, you know, face, you know, of America, right? We all tune into our morning program to kind of get that, that news. And, you know, yet somebody is decided because, you know, she had a hair out of place that was worth tweeting about. And I just thought, God, aren't we past that yet? Like, why are we making such a big deal? But it just speaks to, again, you know, just how you show up in the world. People are going to always, um, you know, often judge. And that confidence is, is a skill you have to develop. Yes. And I think, and I saw her fill in the other night and I think she wore the same top that morning. So then my thought is she's just working her tail off, obviously. Yeah. And that yeah. morning shift for anybody listening 
is is very tough. It's very very yeah. tough. Uh, and I think her comments are just epitomize how crazy things are and how out of control things are. Because when you're doing network news, you've got a lot of people making sure that this looks good and clean and fresh. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the benefits of doing network news. But but that's a that's a sign that. Is just trying to get it right because things are maddening right now. Yeah, yeah. I guess my, I think I was just more disheartened that somebody, and it actually was another woman, which I thought was, you know, interesting too, um, who made the comment. Like, of all the things going on in the world right now, you felt inclined to stop what you were doing and tweet to her about, you know, her hair being out of place. And I just thought, you know, it's one of those moments again where, you know, women helping women the sisterhood still, we haven't, we haven't completely closed the circle yet. Like there's still deaf. It's like a colander. Like we let some people in, but some people, you know, there's still flooding that happens. And when are we going to get past that where that's not the first thing, you know, she's not acknowledging her talent. She wasn't acknowledging her contribution to women in television. She was still stuck on hair. And I thought, ah, you know, it was kind of frustrating to me on, on many levels. And I'm sure, you know, as, as, as a beautiful woman working in television, you faced, you know, perhaps faced that in the past as well, that nobody cared what the story was. It was the outfit that you were wearing and how insignificant, you know, that is in the big picture. Right. And when I was, when I was starting out and most of my career, there weren't a lot of women in it. And so, you know, at a time where you were desperate for that kind of friendship, because mm-hmm. so much other stuff was going on that no one could see because there was no social media. That's where you really could use that female bonding. And I was lucky where I did find a, a handful of women in sports that were even competitors of mine that mm-hmm. saw through that. But it was also clear when I would travel around nationally when I was doing covering the Braves where there would be visiting reporters and you're not getting that vibe. And so you just do your best because I mm-hmm. think – at that time, there's less positions open. So it's people don't, people want to keep their piece of the pie, right? Because there's right. a lot of pie. But maybe as progress happens and things start opening up and we see a lot of women at high levels, then maybe internally women are less worried about losing their gig because we're all trying to rise together. But right. I do think part of that is finding the right crew, but also sometimes it's just progress. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So when you started your business um, for doing media coaching, what was your vision for that? And um, the second part of that question is, is what um, learning opportunity do your clients have that bring or that are, that they're seeking to come work for you? So what's their challenge perhaps that, that they're seeking you to um, out as an expert in? That was a good, that's a good question. My vision was that I wanted to, if I was going to work hard, uh, I wanted to make my own money. And mm-hmm. I also originally was going to coach athletes and professional teams because that's what I knew. And that was my comfort level. And then I kind of just started networking and asking a ton of questions and found that I really love working with executives. I still have athletes who are clients, but I love executives because they want to be great. Mm-hmm. That's what I love. And so the pain points that I'm finding are some psychological, as you can imagine, and some are technical. Some of them are, I want to create a marketing campaign and create videos. I don't know where to start. And Mm -hmm. so I work with them and um, I I can act as a production company where we dive into messaging and and then their delivery. 
that's one. Others are people that need to talk to the media. They're thought leaders. And so I can work with them on either touch-ups or diving in and honing in on their messaging and practicing in live studios. A lot of it's role-playing to get them ready for the media. Uh, some mm-hmm. people are getting ready to interview for a job, so I work with them that way. Other people are looking to, um, again, the thought leader thing is big. How do I get my message out in an organized and concise way? So the pain points can be technical where I'm a great speaker and I have a lot of confidence, but this camera is making me crazy. And and some of it is that the camera just changes people and it's not bad or good. It's just the fact that you need to change it so I can work on the technical part. And then a lot of people just you know, they want to, they want to go in a corner and suck their thumb when they see (laughs) on camera or hear themselves. And what I get it because I I've been there. And so Mm -hmm. that's the kind of the psychological part that I'm talking about. And so I like to with them on getting out of their own way. Right. No, I think that's so true. It is amazing. Even something as simple as a microphone. I mean, you've probably seen this, you know, when you're in a group of people, perhaps a workshop or something, and, you know, they, they, they have a runner in the, the audience who hands a microphone because you have a question. And inevitably, and this drives me insane, is when somebody says, oh, I hate speaking in a microphone before they get started, or, oh, I'm so nervous with a microphone. Like, they have to preface that they're nervous before they actually start saying something. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves. It's just like, I wouldn't know you were nervous unless you just told me that you were nervous. So don't tell me that you're nervous, right? Um, so it is funny how people get very uncomfortable um, with a microphone. I, you know, it's 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 fascinating to me. I guess my gift of gab, I've never had that. So that's that's a, that is a gift, which is great. Yeah. Why you're doing this, which is why you're successful, which is why you've made a success out of this pandemic with your business in a really time mm-hmm. time. And and I think that. But it does make sense and it's common because there's the physicality of having somebody put something in their face. There's that physical part. There's the feedback and the noise that doesn't make sense. And so there's, again, part of it's psychological and part of it's technical. So we kind of work with whatever you need. Yeah. So are you um, working in conjunction with PR firms or where is sort of your clientele coming to you from? My Most of my clients are coming from referrals. Referral. I have partnerships, PR. I can do a little PR because I know how to write a press release and I know what the, the good story is and that kind of stuff. So I can do, I do some of that. If it, if it's too much for me, cause I want to focus on other things. I've got a couple, I've got a partner that I work with, with PR, uh, same with marketing. That's kind of how I'm doing it. So my, I'm getting referrals. And then if it's not a perfect, if it's not a good fit, then I can, I can refer yeah or work in conjunction, right? I mean, um, I'm I'm not going to shoot some videos and edit videos for you. I know you can do that. But so I hire my videographer who I I trust. I have a couple teammates that I worked in news with and I I ride or die. I trust them. It's ride or die. I know they can turn stuff around. They're smart. They know how to tell good stories. And so Mm -hmm. that would be someone that comes and, and does that work for the team. Yeah. And how has the whole virtual world changed your, your business? I noticed that one of my big clients out of the gate who I was going to shoot videos for high end videos for had to go virtual and they wanted to create some uh, show and smart, confident, successful people. Okay. And I say that because this has happened to all of us. And I looked at their first zoom thing and it was really kind of a mess. And I don't mean that critically. I mean that, I've looked at it and they, you know, you've got people going like this and they're, and they're sitting like this. And then one of them had like this headshot so that 
all you could see was all this. And then the, the founder was, couldn't stop talking. In other words, he didn't know where to start and stop and transition. And I looked at this and I thought, okay, this makes perfect sense. And this was in March, mm -hmm. early March. I thought, you know what? We've got a pandemic. Nobody knows what the heck that means. Everyone's scared they're going to die or their parents are going to die. Now they're yeah. having work from home. They've got kids. They've got to work. They don't know if they're going to get their stimulus check. Anxiety, fear, anxiety, fear. And oh, by the way, now they've got to come across strong on camera when they've never had to do that. And they're wondering if their dog or their kid's going to bolster into the door. Yeah. <laughs> and do they have enough food or do they have enough toilet paper or do they have enough wipes? Right. Mm -hmm. the pandemic. So I thought, you know, not cool, not fair that everyone has to worry about that thing. Yeah. And so what I've been doing is I'm still doing my regular buckets of fundamentals, messaging and delivery, but I'm also tweaking it for clients that need help bolstering their virtual presence. How does your studio look? What is the back? How do we work on your background? What kind of shot is it going to be? How can you prepare mm -hmm. your messaging? How do you come across as confident and authentic when you're not in person? So I have made that shift for people that are lucky enough to still have work during this time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. And, and I've been um, talking to a lot of people through the podcast in the last, you know, several weeks and asking the same question on, you know, say, or saying that virtual is not the band-aid for pre, you know, life pre-COVID, post-COVID, right? This is not the band-aid. This is now put a stake in the ground. The world is virtual. So even if tomorrow the gates open and we're all allowed to go back to normal life, whatever normal life, you know, is that we're going back to, we still need to be taking what we're learning in virtual, all these best practices of virtual and continue to apply them as, as we go forward. And they're going to become even more important as they come, you know, be, as we're moving forward. So uh, it's great to hear that you're, you're providing that service and, and helping people to even something as small as zoom, uh, um, perhaps, um, you know, there still needs to be some coaching that takes place with that too. So that you put your best foot forward. And again, it's a skill set. All of a sudden, everyone's being thrown into this position. How are they going to know if they don't know? Or they mm -hmm. have time to kind of find their way because they're busy with other things. So yeah, I just like to give, you know, I just remind my clients, I did a session today, just give yourself a little grace. We'll get you there. Yeah. Yeah. And that is kind of the nice thing that people, I think, through this is hopefully we are giving each other um, a little grace. You know, if the dog comes in or if the child comes in, you know, perhaps not in, you know, a, a keynote that I'm giving, but, you know, in a, in a normal conversation or something, that has been nice that people just are sort of forgiving of that um, in this chapter right now where people are kind of like, yep, I get it. You know, the phone will ring or the dog will bark, you know, that kind of thing. So that has been lovely to see that there has been a little bit of, of grace that we've given each other too. Humanity. Yeah. Yes, humanity, right? My goodness, my goodness. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, mentorship. Um, have you had some mentors in your life? And um, I imagine you are mentoring, uh, you know, younger professionals or people in transition yourself, but what, what's that journey been like for you in your career? That's a great question. And I will say that Patrick Henry, who's a colleague and a friend of mine, who is a... Um, He's a CEO of Grow Guru and has, you know, built businesses and sold them and has had a lot of success. And he said, everyone, you need a mentor and you need to ask. And I haven't done that. And I think that's think something that I need to do. I've been in, mm -hmm. you know, I have kind of masterminds. I need to work on that. But I think one of the lessons that I do, do as I say, not as I do, yeah. I, but I thought this was great advice was find out 
find somebody and ask them if they'll be your mentor. Because mm-hmm. when I think of it, if someone was younger than I and and work and worked hard and you know was said she was going to email or said he was going to email at me and did and followed through and then just said, Katie, you know, I would like it if you were my mentor. I don't know how I could say no if they right. were telling me that they wanted to work for it. And so I think yeah. I need to kind of put my money where my mouth is there. I've had, again, friends and people that have helped me, but I think I think for anyone listening, and I'd be curious to hear what you think, really finding a mentor is golden mm-hmm. and something that I need to work on. Yeah, I, 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 I'm a big proponent of mentors. I, I think that they also need to sort of organically happen. You know, it's not like I can just go through my LinkedIn and be like, you know, throw a dart and like, oh, you, now you get to mentor. You know, I want you as my mentor. So I think you need to be aware of relationships that you already have and be paying attention to people who are doing work perhaps that you're inspired by. And it may not even be in your line of work that you're interested in, but, you know, I like their leadership style or I liked how they're, you know, managing their day or, you know, that kind of thing. So I think, first of all, it's about just finding that awareness. I think also as entrepreneurs, um, if it's not necessarily having perhaps that one person that you always go to, but having a circle of people. You and I have a common friend in common, Sean um, Walchef from Cali Comfort Barbecue and Digital Hospitality. And I can't tell you in a given month, how many times he and I are just messaging, Hey, I just saw this, you know, I just heard this podcast. You're going to love it. Or he'll send something to me. And just having that community of people who are also entrepreneurs, um, or perhaps it's, you know, people in your industry that you can just share best practices with and, um, sort of touch, you know, have touch points of mentorship where you don't necessarily have to have a real formal relationship, but just having those people that you can bounce ideas off of that to me is, is really crucial. Um, Um, as a business owner. I agree. I agree. Do you have a good group, a circle of influences, they call it, or... Yeah, I, f- I feel like I do. I, I, I have them both in the event industry and, um, and then I just, I have, you know, those other business owners that I, that I have been fortunate enough to sort of grow up with, you know, we've grown businesses together kind of in the last, you know, 13 years for me now next month. And, and just again, having those, that community of people that you can drop a text into or pick up the phone and just say, Ah, here's my idea or this is where I'm really stuck or, you know, or sharing, like I said, I, we share, I share a lot of articles. I share a lot of podcasts like, Hey, I was just listening to this Katie. I thought this would be great for you. You know, that kind of thing. I think that's really important that we're not only trying to grow ourselves, but also how can I help you become the best person, you know, for yourself as well. So. Right. That's good advice. And the thought of the article or the podcast is that I think we all will say, God, you know, I'm going to send Nicole this podcast and then I don't. But what's nice, take the second to stop what you're doing, grab that link and email it that way. That's that taking that extra step. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, and I think Sean, and I think he would agree, Sean and I both just are at the point now where it's like, I don't even have to say anything or he doesn't have to say anything. Just if a text comes with a podcast link, it means, Hey, you know, you, this, you would benefit from this, right? I read, you know, I heard it or I read this article and I'm thinking of you. And so that's really nice too. There's not a lot of need for, you know, dear Nicole, I was thinking about you today, that kind of thing, but it's just, we're in that place now. And and I have that relationship with other people too, where it's just, just pop something in a text. And if I'm getting it from you, I know it's there, you know, you've, you've vetted it, you know, that it's good stuff and you're sending it to me. And so I just think those little, you know, entrepreneurial circles are, are just important to, to have um, both personally and professionally. Those have been really beneficial. Yeah. Um, it's a lonely me. world and they tell you, you know, they yeah. tell you. 
entrepreneur world is a lonely world. It is. It is. It is. Are you a podcast listener or a reader or how do you sort of I get do. your inspiration? I do a little of everything to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I, you know, they, they, I, in my, the way that I'm set up is that I just kind of do a little of everything. I don't dive super yeah. deep. Um, I'm always reading. So I balance between kind of a business book mm-hmm. and I read the, the building, the store, a story brand and okay. I, Donald, Donald Miller. And then I just, I have the e-myth waiting, but the, oh, the e-myth is so good. You should read the e-myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've got the four agreements all right there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Try to balance with a, a, a novel or something just to kind of calm down and, <laughs> you know, but I'm also, I'm old school TV. Yeah. I, that's how I, that's how I roll. I mean, I've been wanting to get rid of my cable for years, but for me, I'm still old school. How are they putting the package together? What's going on? And, you know, I channel eight is where I fill in. So those are my people. Yeah. And I right. respect that medium, even though everybody else is mad at it. Yeah. <laughs> I know we'll do the old school TV watching and, um, yeah. and YouTube and, and articles, whatever I get in my inbox. Skim is a right. It's right. I don't think people appreciate how hard television is from a reporter standpoint. And, you know, for somebody to sit and be eating their dinner, watching the six o'clock news and, you know, watching the, the reporters report, they don't understand the day that you've all had to get to that place of actually telling your story. So, you know, the day in the life of a reporter is probably, I would imagine, not as glamorous as everyone thinks being on TV, you know, is, but it is also a lot harder too. You're constantly chasing, chasing a story or a lead or, uh, and then writing and then, you know, pulling it all together and pulling yourself together to, to, you know, look your best to be on television. And, you know, there's a lot of steps that go into somebody's just literally reading the news to you um, at night. So it, I was, I tell people that when I was covered, I was the Braves beat reporter, which meant that I had a, you know, an editorial meeting every morning at 10 AM and then the ballpark clubhouse opened at four. And then I had to get my stories and my research and go live at five forty, And then I'm there until the game's over and it doesn't matter if it's 13 innings or not and then I'm doing yeah. turning around doing my post-game interview and not complaining but my right is that you know long day long yeah. day over and over and over and over Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think it is an interesting time for, for news in general. Um, you know, obviously politics plays a big role into that, but you know, um, you know, I, I hope we get to a place where we can return back to news and media being, you know, the right source, right. The, the, the source that we can all trust, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if that will ever return to us. We might have gone, you know, the horse is out of the barn at this point, but it just speaks to people really having to do their own research in, you know, in the sources and who is actually saying those things just because it's on Twitter does not make it true. You know, just because the president says it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. Right. Know? I mean, the old rule back in the day, which I'm sure still stands for most people is that, you know, if, so, if I used to, if there, if there was a big trade or um, if, if, if a guy or a girl got let go or something happened in sports. I mean, we definitely were less interested in being the first as we were making sure there were two or three sources so that it was true. Mm -hmm. 
And that yeah. is a hard thing to get rid of in today's society of now, 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 now. Right. Where, you know, we had to show restraint. Listen, we, yeah, do we want to break the story? Absolutely. Do we want to break it? Yes, yes, yes. But right. the reality is, is you better make sure that it's true before you go on. And so if this station is up before you, you got to let it ride yeah. and, and then go with, with the right way. So. Yeah. And we've gotten to a place of just reacting first and facts second. And that I think is a, you know, that's, that's tough because, um, you know, there's even a story in the news today about um, the NASCAR driver and, you know, kind of what are the, you know, everyone had a reaction to that, which is understandable, but that now some facts are coming out that perhaps, you know, sort of diffuse that situation enough. And had we had that information before the reaction you know, came to be, would, you know, would it have been the same, you know, again, I, I you know, I don't know, but um, I think we're so quick to react because everything is just so is instant, you know, and, and not necessarily have all those facts, which is not a great path for us to be going down as a society. Yeah. So, um, so when is the last time you asked for help? Let's move into sort of the theme of the podcast being the big ask. So um, have you had to uh, make a big ask either personally or professionally? And what was that process like? And what was the outcome like for you? It's funny. There's a lot of asks. So I'll just kind of think of maybe a couple that are new. Uh, I think when I was running for woman of the year, just like you, mm -hmm. you're asking, there's a lot of big asks. Yes. That's, that's a, a lot of big asks because mm -hmm. you're asking for people to donate their money and mm -hmm. um, be behind you. Uh, uh, I would say, you know, because I was grinding for years as a sportscaster, I, I made a lot of asks. I think that I have some, I have two good ones. One was that when I moved here in 2005, I, I went to work for Fox Sports South in Atlanta, which is Fox's biggest regional. And they were going to kind of do a bunch of shows and they were going to have me anchor shows. They had a place for me, et cetera, et cetera. And Fox had had the rights and still does, but the rights to a lot of teams, the Hawks, broadcast rights, Hawks, Braves, some ACC, SEC stuff. And, and then a lot of teams in Nashville and um and uh, Nashville, uh, what, another uh, Carolina. So it was a regional network. So it's seven southeastern states. So my point is, there was a lot of opportunity because they had a lot of original content. And when I got there, so I had moved all everything from San Diego, sunny San Diego, to Atlanta, which I love. I had lived there before, and I was excited. And I and they were doubling my salary and all this great stuff. And then I got there. And everything changed with the main network and the main Fox. And so those shows that I was going to be anchoring gone, mm -hmm. were gone. And mm -hmm. I was literally walking around without anything to do. And, you know, and your, your worth is tied to what you're doing, especially at that time. They just hauled my cookies, you know, 3,000 miles away. So I walked yeah. into the producer's office and just said, you know, why don't you just put me on the Braves? I know baseball. You're paying me. Why don't you consider it? And I have to tell you, you know, the South is the South and we, they still, we all have a long way to go, but the South especially. And so they ended up putting me on the Braves and that was a big, I walked into the, the office just saying, I don't know what else to do here, but why don't you just stick me with the Braves? So then I was their beat reporter for three years and that turned out to be a great opportunity for me and I learned yeah. a lot, but I didn't, I don't know, Nicole, what they would have done with me had I not 
ask that question. Yeah. Being bold and being brave enough to, to walk in there and say, I'm the best person for this job and this is what you should consider. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah. That's a great example of it and creating that opportunity for yourself that right. might not have otherwise existed. Right. I mean, that changed the trajectory of my career, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then I, the other thing for every, everything is a, a lot. When you're an entrepreneur, you're out, you're th- you have to think outside the box and you have to be brave. And so there's a lot of asks that are, that are common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that, you know, we do them, I think, more than we even realize that we're doing them. But there are a lot of times where it takes courage, you know, and even if it's securing a new client and going to somebody perhaps that hasn't come to you first, and where, but you see an opportunity and asking them to um, entrust their careers to you or their image or their brand. I mean, that, you know, that those are big asks that are needing to be made as well. Yeah, I, that's yeah. a really good point because now you're saying, and I love that topic because you have to really be confident in what you're, what you're offering because mm-hmm. you're asking people, at least for me, you know, and you too at times, I need you to be, I need you to cut, trust me and I need you to be uncomfortable for a yeah. while. Yeah. That's not right. fun. That's not right. fun. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so what client, uh, what projects are you currently working on? Uh, I know with COVID things are a little bit funky, but what, um, what are you working on right now that excites you? I love, where do you see potential? Yeah, I love the balance with helping. I did a virtual course with a company today on, on bolstering your virtual presence, which I love. So I love that. That hasn't been everything, but it's definitely been a way that I've been able to pivot. And I like mm-hmm. that because it's something that none of us saw coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've got clients that want to be, I have a couple that really want to be thought leaders, which I'm really enjoying because a lot of it's brainstorming about what they're really mm-hmm. passionate about and what they really know about and how do we get it out there. Uh, I also have a client that is a, a, a renowned speaker and just is not, it's not translating in on his videos. So we're working on that. Um, so it just, and then I've got a couple broad, I've got a couple ex athletes that are broadcasters that I work with, not every day, but, but regularly. So yeah. I think, um, I like it all. I like training. I like working with students young. I've worked at national university. I like mm-hmm. you know, young people to get them ready for, uh, interviews and stuff, interviewing skills. I love doing that. Uh, so I really like the balance much like TV where I loved anchoring. I loved reporting. I loved hosting. I loved all the different aspects of it. Just kind of like this. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, um, you know, I think the service that you provide is one of those that people think, oh, I don't need that. I, I, I could do it on my own, right? Until there's like a disaster or there's, or they're not converting, um, you know, their, their, their keynote or something isn't happening and then they come to you. Um, so I, I imagine there's, there's a sort of some humbling and some vulnerability in your clients when they first are coming to you because they realize perhaps that either A, it isn't working and we need to be coached or or they come with the, it's working, but I need to take it to the, to the next level. Right. Which is what we love you and I, right. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, great, which is great because if you want to be great, then I can push you. Yeah. That's, that's the real fun part about it. Sometimes when, with what I teach, it's a, again, it's a really emotional thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of have to, now you're navigating what you're qualified for 
and how you can get them there versus finding a way to let them just let it go and, and, you know, take it easy because people can yeah. really be hard on themselves. And right. I, found, you know, I've had people over the last years just get frustrated because they're not getting it this quickly. And, and I, and I say, listen, this, if this is not easy, I did it for 25 years and I was, yeah. It took me a long time to be able to watch myself on camera and not want to throw up, really. Yeah, yeah. Get all of that. But it, it takes work. You have to want to do the work. And it's it's a skill set. And, and we can make you better. But you can't just come in for a half day and then be amazing. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think it's like a muscle that you have to continue to train, right? And the more you do it, obviously, the more comfortable you get with it. But in the beginning, it can be a tad bit intimidating, just as it would be to say, oh, go stand on that stage. We're not going to record you, but go stand on that stage and speak to 500 people in a room. You know, it's funny how some people are more comfortable doing that versus, you know, just sitting in a room with you and a camera, and they have more anxiety with it just being you and a camera than they would perhaps 500 people in an audience. Yeah. Oh, you froze. You froze up on me. So you and I, as we've said, both um, are involved uh, with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and uh, we both participated in separate years as um, their Man Woman of the Year campaign. And for those who don't know, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society runs um, a national campaign, but at the chapter level, um, which is a 10-week fundraising campaign that happens every year. And so they identify community leaders and business owners and um, and brave folks who say yes when they're asked. Um, who commit to raising as much money as they possibly can in 10 weeks. And then at the end of that campaign, a man and a woman of the year are both, are both crowned with a very uh, dignified sash that we get um, as, as, as the winners. So um, I know it was a grueling experience um, going through it um, when I did in 2017, but also an incredibly rewarding experience. And so my question to you is, first of all, why did you say yes to that opportunity? What drew you to it? Oof, that's, I, I mean, bottom line is, so I had Jack Kelly, who's the guy that nominated me, who, you know, a lot of people in San Diego know as a community leader, and he had been a man of the year. But what had happened is originally when they asked me to do it, I, my grandma had multiple myeloma and my dear friend, Laura joins, who is a good uh, old friend from Atlanta, um, had recently lost her mom mm -hmm. and to multiple 
myeloma and, and had, and her mom had lived with it for a long time. And so I had seen that happen. And so those were the two women that I had in mind when I was thinking about it. Uh, but to your point, it's, it's a huge, huge, huge commitment and it's scary. It's 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. How yeah, much money? A long time. It's, it feels like a long time, right? But it's not. Yes. And so, no. um, Jack Kelly, who had nominated me, had his mom, as you know, had AML, and mm-hmm. uh, and we were playing phone tag about whether I was going to do it or not. And um, I remember I was sitting right here when he called and just said, "Hey, listen, uh, I'm sorry, I haven't. I'm sorry, I haven't been in touch, but we just buried my mom." And and I I thought. <laughs> what I'm supposed to say no now when this yeah. guy thinks that I can help raise money and fund research when he's got the wherewithal to call me back after he just buried his mom. And yeah, who am I to, to, to say no? Right. To be honest, that was it. I mean, I had Laura's mom, Mary in mind and my grandma in mind. Um, but Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think having those mission connections, albeit if it's in your own personal family or close friends, or just even hearing, you know, Jack's story of, of how the research that LLS has been involved in, you know, prolonged his mom's life. He's very proud of, of that. And as sad as it is that he and his family and we all have lost her, you know, the, the incredible research uh, that LLS is a part of is the reason that she lived as long as she did and, and had a very fruitful life until, you know, very close to the end as, as far as I understand the story. And so, you know, just being a part of that and, and, and raising money to, it may not cure the people who have cancer today, but it, it, you know, it will ultimately cure, you know, we'll find the cure. We will, and whatever we can do today to make that happen. So, you know, we all have our, our reasons for saying yes. Um, I, I think it was one of the hardest things that I did, but then I would look at, you know, my, my mission connection is my friends lost their two and a half year old Hazel to AML. And um, we actually lost her two weeks into my campaign. Um, And so, you know, there, any moment, any glimmer of the, wow, this is hard. I don't, you know, what am I doing? I'm raising money was quickly diminished by the reality of what my friends were going through. And so, you know, it's just perspective, right? You know, yes, you and I are going to have a hard 10 week season, right? But these families that are enduring cancer and these parents who have lost children after 10 weeks, that doesn't go away for them. You know, and so for me, that was just always um, a big motivator that no other family should have to bury their child. You know, Jack shouldn't have to bury his mom. Um, And, you know, so for me, that was my yes. That was my yes. I remember them. And I remember how grace they had because I met Hazel Mm -hmm. and that they were so gracious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you don't know how you could handle if it was happening to you, but they... Her family was so graceful. Um, yep. Yes. And they were, we, um, they actually even came to the finale. So they, they were there the night that I won. And, um, and that was literally, you know, five days after they had done the memorial service for her. Um, and it just, you know, there was, there was nothing I could say to bring back 
Hazel, but at least I could say we did the best that we could and we raised a lot of money um, in a short amount of time that will honor her. And that was the only way I knew how to help my friends to get to the other side of, of grief and navigate grief. And so um, it's a wonderful organization. You and I are still involved in the organization and I thank you for your incredible um, gifts and talent and time and treasure that you dedicate to the organization. Um, we will one day find a cure for blood cancer, which will subsequently help with so much other cancer research. It's not just blood cancer. Um, so thank you very much as a, as a board member. Thank you for, for dedicating your time um, as a volunteer to the organization and for saying yes to um, the ask of being woman of the year, because it, it was a big ask. I know that is a big ask to say, to say yes to. Um, and so just know how much I, I value that and, and respect you um, for, for doing that. Well, back at you. And I also say that, um, you know, the man of the year and the all-star of the year from my year have both passed away. Yeah. And they, they passed away within a week of each other. And to your point, we have to keep going. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Unfortunately, as we lose more people, it, it just is a reminder that there's still work to be done. So Yes. All right. Let's switch gears. As I, um, as I always do, I end every podcast um, with rapid fire questions. So these are just intended to be fun. No right or wrong answer, no judgment, just whatever comes off the top of your head. Okay. So first question is title of your lifetime movie. Ah, how about that? <laughs> if you could, ch- yes, if you Yes, I, I make no judgment on, on any answers. So, okay. So if you could change places with any celebrity right this minute, who would it be? God, who am I paying <laughs> to? I would say Pink. Ah, good. Yes, she's awesome. Um, when do you feel happiest? At sunset. Okay. If you're running for politics, what would be your biggest campaign promise? Social justice reform. Ultimate dinner party, which four guests do you invite? Yeah, that's a good one. It used to be Michael Jordan. Uh, (laughs) I'll say Jordan, Julie Foudy, and Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, amazing. Okay, that's an eclectic group. Perfect. Right this minute, you have to get a tattoo, regardless of how you feel about them. What do you get and why? Peace sign. Let's go. The peace sign. Okay, great. Uh, Biggest pet peeve in business? Ugh, there's so many. Just all the just all the advice that everyone says entrepreneurs need to follow. (laughs) So true, right? You can get paralyzed by all that advice and never do anything. Um, What is your wish for the next generation? I mean, my wish for the next generation is to find, to, to keep doing what they're doing, but to find a balance between the benefits of social media and not letting it eat away at your soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take the best parts of that and, for sure. And, yeah. Yeah. When does your light shine the brightest? When I'm helping somebody. Awesome. When I'm helping somebody, Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And what is your big ask, either personal and professional, right this minute, and how can we help you? 
I would say that I would love um, to continue to scale my business. So if anyone out there thinks that they need, whether it's a group or individual, help um, being the best version of themselves wherever the camera is, I can definitely help. Awesome. Great. Katie, will you thank you for saying yes to my ask of being a guest on the Big S Podcast. You've been so fun to, to, to chat with and get to know better. And how can people find you if they're interested in connecting? Uh, my email's Katie at Katie Temple Coaching, and it's Katie with a Y. Uh, Katie Temple Media Coaching is my website, and I'm on LinkedIn. And um, thank you, and continued success to you. And thank you. Uh, I know it's your podcast, but I do want to say good for you for staying positive throughout this challenging time, considering what your business is, and for all the work that you do for LLS and funding all that cancer research. Wow. And everything that you do to boost women, because I don't think it's just about women. I definitely don't, but I do need, we, I do know we need to be kinder to each other. Absolutely. So Absolutely. All that that you do. Oh, well, thank you. Well, it's been my joy to spend the last uh, 45 minutes with you. So thank you so much. And we'll look forward to connecting with you on all of those um, mediums and channels that you just mentioned. Thanks, Katie. Bye. Yes. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Big Ass Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe to and share the podcast with your friends. And be sure to connect with me on social at Miss Nicole Matthews or at Big Ass Podcast. Until next time, let today be the day you make a big ask. Big Ass.